biggest learning is for us is when we're talking to founders across each of these categories. I think uh, a lot of founders and companies are shaped by the experiences that that CEO or founder has had. So understanding where they're coming from has been amazing learning lessons for us. I think similarly, don't invest in stuff you don't understand. Sometimes markets are really hot, whether that be esports or fitness. If you don't understand the technology or the platform, either learn it or don't invest. Deep in Perique is a partner at Courtside Ventures, an early stage VC fund vertically focused on sports and media, fitness, wellness, nutrition, and gaming and esports. The fund is backed by Cavs owner Dan Gilbert, George Pine at Bruin Sports Capital, and many others. We discuss what Courtside tried to prove in creating their first fund four years ago, what they saw in the market to know that the thesis of scaling these businesses was right, and how they're adding fuel to that fire today. We jump from the upcoming media rights bidding in sports to cord cutting, and from data personalization to nutrition. Deepin also shares wise advice and some personal learning and some personal learnings to fellow angel investors. Plus, he gives a surprise shout out to an athlete who really gets this space. Courtside started um, with our initial fund four years ago. And we're really fortunate in our first fund um, where the goal was to really prove out that there are investment opportunities, real scalable venture-backed opportunities across the sports landscape. Prior to that, uh, a lot of people viewed sports as you know interesting with large, uh, certainly, participation and large fan bases, but not necessarily large scalable businesses because a lot of the companies were traditionally looking uh, at selling to other teams or leagues and sizing was too small. So our goal was how do we go out and market and how do we invest in companies where there are real scalable solutions out there? What did, so what did you I'm just gonna jump in right in there deep in yeah. what so what did you guys see in the market then that allowed you to say, I, I think there's something provable here to create it? Yeah, so great question. Uh, you know, a couple things. One, you know, there was as we look at the the media sector itself, uh, we just saw a tremendous amount of um, kind of content that was now starting to live outside of the traditional media companies. And so whether that was through a VMBPD or that was through an OTT platform or even, you know, um, kind of co-broadcasted across the linear and also digital networks. Uh, but most important was how the younger audiences were consuming the content. Mm. It's incredibly hard to get a younger individual uh, to watch an entire game doesn't matter what sport um it's just in, you know it's more and more of a challenge where they're watching is different what they watch is different um we are uh developing habits of highlights and really uh kind of authentic content versus necessarily watching a full game and so as we saw that and we saw that these leagues and media companies were also starting to open up their platforms and work with earlier stage companies that's when we jumped in. Mm. And, uh, you know, that kind of coupled with, you know, sports plays a very prominent role in also developing a cultural identity, right, with its user base. So new lifestyle brands, mission-led operations. The beauty of sports is that they have one of the most loyal user bases and fans. And so the way in which that uh, we saw teams, media companies, brands, startups engaging with them um, and creating kind of the new, the future of lifestyle, 
um, that was really appealing to us as well and really uh, tied into our thesis, what, how we thought about the market. What, what came first in your line about developing habits of highlights? Was it uh, content startups that started to do it and you start to see audiences, younger audiences, move and traction there? Or was it uh, just media, like almost Nielsen ratings and habits to see how people, how much time people were spending on certain shows and sports? Yeah, I think, you know, certainly it's been heavily talked about where you see um, the increased or rapid increase of cord cutting. Um, Part of it was we just saw people consuming content on different platforms than they traditionally did. Right. So instead of watching, um, tuning into ESPN directly and watching sports center, you now have a ESPN or sports center version made for snap. Right. And that's a completely different, obviously a lot of the same content, but very different format. And so as we saw people spending more time on a couple key platforms, um, we saw an opportunity for both content creation and new areas of distribution, mm. right? So people are getting, I don't want to say more used to, but if there's premium high quality content, there's a willingness to pay for it through a subscription. If you take that with kind of premium paid um, sponsorship from advertisers, that creates a really rich uh, new age sports media landscape in our mind. And you, you started by saying that you um, set up Courtside f- about four years ago. Talk about deal flow and due diligence then compared to, compared to four years later with a real fund and investing and outcomes and, and how that's changed over four years. Sure. So we launched, uh, really just hit our four-year anniversary um, a couple weeks ago. And so, you know, my partner, Basu, is really the – uh, the creator behind it, he had the relationship with our LPs uh, in Fund One prior to launching the fund. And so um, as we built it out, we were really fortunate to work with uh, a lot of really established folks in the sports industry. So folks like Dan Gilbert, who's a big investor in our fund, WPP, the advertising agency. Uh, and then we also have folks like George Pine and Bruin Sports Capital, um, you know, George obviously has a phenomenal track record of reputation in the sports industry. Uh, and then we had some really great advisors as well. And so this really opened up a starting point for us uh, where, you know, Vasco and I had experience on the technology side and really looking at early stage companies. But we also had the credibility from the more traditional sports and media industries. And so, you know, we're, we're really fortunate today. We, we firmly believe in the idea of building a vertically focused fund. So we really only focus on three key areas and that's sports and media, fitness and wellness and gaming and esports. Mm. And that's really all we look at. Um, we see about 50 companies a week right now uh, across those. And so our goal is to see, you know, everything or almost everything. I think it's tough to obviously see it all, but um, really the way we view it is as a vertically focused fund, we should be seeing, um, companies that are coming out across all stages, whether it's a pre-seed company, seed company, series A company, we should be aware of what's going on because that uh, helps dictate 
our actual learnings in the market and helps us determine what our main focus and thesis is going to be for the upcoming year or fund. How, how did you narrow down to those three different areas? Yeah, so, you know, it really ties back to a couple of key things. One is community. Um, so if you look at all three of those, uh, really taps into the way in which we're seeing community shift. So whether it's sports and media's fan bases and loyal audiences or fitness and wellness, or it's very heavily predicated on, you know, you working out with other people, um, you know, nutrition has become a much more, I don't want to call it social, but certainly more interactive. You have all these digital apps out there and gaming and esports, which is inherently social. Um, you look at people, maybe they're not together face to face as much, but the, you know, really incredible relationships that are developed through stuff, um, like discord and Twitch, uh, really drives all back to community. And the second is where we see, uh, the dollars flowing in terms of younger audiences. So, you know, people generally say traditional sports leagues are aging out, um, you know, certainly their audiences are getting older, no doubt. But at the same time, they're not going away. Those leagues are there for the long haul. And some have done a better job than others in creating uh, just more uh, content targeted to the younger audiences. Um, but that also opens up opportunities for international. Right. So I think as dollars uh, start to pour further into the traditional sports leagues and also new age sports, um, that's where we see a lot of value. What, what surprised you the most in the last year or so in those categories, sports, media, wellness, fitness, gaming, that uh, I guess reinforced why you picked those three, but, but even opened your eyes to say, wow, we're, we're further ahead than I thought, or uh, there's, there's entrance into this space that we're never in there? Is there anything that stands out as something that really you weren't expecting? Yeah, I mean, a lot of things. I think we're, we learn every day in terms of, you know, entrepreneurs that are building incredible companies. Um, you know, some are under the radar and they've just been building uh, based on ideas that we didn't necessarily look at or concepts we didn't look at or didn't, didn't think could necessarily be large companies. And so we, we like being proven wrong for sure. Uh, certainly humbles us uh, from a standpoint of being able to uh, really appreciate the value of really good founders, um, and not necessarily falling into the trap of groupthink. But I'd say that the biggest thing, you know, across our verticals, you know, each one probably has something that's really surprised us. I think one I'll talk about in particular, the fitness and wellness side, um, something that continues to amaze me is just how much, um, just how rabid, people or how kind of aggressive people have been on um, the bandwagon of physical fitness going away and everything kind of going in the home. So, you know, you have Peloton, amazing company, you have Mir, Tonal, all these products, connected products that are in homes today. Um, but if you look at the growth of gyms, that number is growing rapidly mm. year over year. So gyms aren't going away. Now they're being reimagined, right? They might be smaller spaces. They might be uh, more group classes or a traditional, just purely membership gym. But the whole notion that things are just moving in home or only online, I think is a really unwarranted fallacy 
Whereas I think what we're trying to figure out is how do you capture not only the in-home, but also in-gym? And what are those new concepts going to be that people really gravitate towards? And you mentioned some of those new products like Peloton, Tonal Mirror, and others. What, what products out there uh, stand up that you, you really like? You, you like what they've disrupted, or there's a particular founder. They could be ones that you guys have invested in or not, but ones that you think have broken through with you know, the thousands and thousands of companies that are not only trying to get uh, investment money, but ultimately do sell or IPO or really are significantly changing the market. Yeah, I think they're, you know, in terms of the the fitness side, one that's really interesting that we invested in out of fund one is called Future. Um, URL is future.fit. They're a digital personal training platform um, that provides consumers one-on-one experiences with really um, legit personal trainers. So the trainer who I use uh, was head of uh, men's and women's uh, basketball training at University of Wisconsin. Hmm. And she's amazing, but what this allows you to do is the person's not there with you physically, but they're with you um, at all times. So through your phone, so messaging nonstop through the app, uh, when wearing your Apple Watch, they can track your various activities, your workouts, everything, and it's really personalized. And so we're really bullish on that model because uh, for most people in the world, they can't afford a personal trainer at 100 150 bucks an hour. This is $150 a month, hmm. uh, which gives you access and gives you your own dedicated personal trainer. And so uh, that's one that I think uh, has a massive potential. Um, we're really bullish on the fitness and wellness professional services industry as a whole. Um, you know, fitness itself Um, at the end of the day, or health, if you will, is kind of the new wealth, and it's a modern status symbol, right? And so if you look at um, the willingness to pay uh, amongst the younger audiences, it's huge. And so we believe that the professional services industry around fitness and wellness is going to be a massive opportunity uh, to invest behind just because a lot of people are now entering that line of work and there's just much more demand. So jumping from a product to an individual, what, what athlete out there or personality could be in could be in gaming or a traditional sport impresses you that they uh, they really interact well uh, not just with media but their fan engagement they use the social platforms right they they seem to want to do more than participate in just their sport um, that's caught your eye. So I'm I'm gonna. Uh put a name out there of a uh, an NFL player who we've co-invested with quite a bit, who I think is really remarkable. Uh, it's a guy by the name of Kelvin Beecham. Uh, I don't know if you've met Kelvin yeah. yet. He's, uh, you know, starting lineman for the New York Jets. Truly one of the most thoughtful uh, angel investors we've had a chance to work with. <laughs> and so Kelvin is, uh, you know, there are a lot of athletes out there that have done this well, for sure. I think there are also a lot of athletes out there that probably have not and have lost quite a bit of money um, or have maybe oversold on the promise of them being able to share something through their social networks. Right. Like the, the value network of a lot of athletes uh, extends beyond just the social channels. 
And so someone like Kelvin, who gets really in the weeds uh, and is incredibly helpful to the founders of companies he invests in, um, has just developed a really good reputation. I think we've now co-invested with him in three or four companies, um, and he takes the time to learn each of the industries. He meets with all the founders. He spends a lot of time with them to understand the markets before he even dives in. And he'll, he'll only get involved if, if he can, if he has really deep passion in the space or if he can really be helpful and move the needle. And so uh, he's someone who, who I greatly admire and I think, uh, you know, is really thinking outside the box in terms of how he can uh, provide value and get into some of the top deals. Well, the, those traits uh are great for an angel if it's an, an athlete or just you, me, or anybody else on the street. Each of those in terms of the passions, getting to know, digging into areas where you can make a difference. Those are something that anyone that wants to be an angel should be thinking about too. Totally. Absolutely. What, what about, you mentioned some of the, the tech startup in the fitness space. What about a legacy brand that has adapted and has uh, that understands change. Maybe it is in the sports and media consumption, and is changing uh, the look and the feel of that content. But is is there a, a legacy brand that sticks out across the space that you think's done a nice job? Um, yeah. Look, I, I think certainly in the world of uh, of sports, there have been some really interesting ones. I think uh, looking at it from a again, looking at it more from a acquisition standpoint and how they think about strategy. I think NBC sports is really interesting. Um, you know, they've taken a pretty aggressive approach, uh, on the way they have acquired companies. So they bought uh, a large company in youth sports. They also bought a, you know, golf tea time reservation company. And I think the way they're really positioning it is how can they leverage their assets that they have, which is a massive broadcast platform. Right to uh, that has you know ins to almost every household in the country, and you couple that with you know the massive amount of power they have through Comcast. In addition to that, so I think they're a pretty interesting business um, that I think has done a good job around that. I you know continue to believe that uh, uh, some of the sports leagues have been really innovative. Um, NBA. Uh, is always top of mind in terms of the way they think about um, their approach of working with early stage companies, but also thinking about uh, their business on a very global level. Uh, I think the digital team at NFL has also done a really good job in uh, creating these media partnerships with new age platforms um, that really helps engage the younger audiences and the audiences outside the U.S. So I think everyone's on their uh you know, back on their heels right now, just given how much this shift uh, has shifted in the last couple of years. I think um, it's been certainly widely stated that the next rights and negotiation deals for the majority of the large sports leagues will, will probably be a pretty significant uptick. Um, and part of that is just due to the fact that the numbers are continuing to grow in terms of live viewership around, uh, around sports. I think two cycles from now will be really interesting. Um, I don't know if in this next cycle we'll necessarily see a massive, uh, you know, shift amongst the, the rights owners to uh, digital only platforms. Just doesn't make sense yet. The eyeballs aren't there and they're getting paid too much from the linear networks. But maybe we'll start to see uh, a split 
maybe we'll see uh, more content on the digital platforms in addition to uh, the linear platforms. But I think two cycles from now will probably be the most telling. Yeah. Uh, so call it another eight to 10 years, really, until we see, I think, a really big uh, digital platform on some real rights. It's interesting. I was thinking about that the other day, too, about that it's, it may be that second cycle. And even just thinking in my own mind, if the leagues this time end up trying to do shorter deal terms than they normally do, because they think in five to, and you say eight to 10, but if, if there's a couple of years before that, where that marketplace of possible buyers opens, uh, do they make this cycle a little shorter than, than what they've done in the past? I guess we'll see shortly. Yep. Exactly. What about the future? What, what do you, I mean, every day you're learning in different ways. You've got three areas of focus in this uh, umbrella of sports here. Uh, what do you think the next two years looks like or even further out for not just the fund, but uh, where business goes? Yeah, so I think, um, I think we're going to see, and this is, is nothing new necessarily, but I think we're going to see more adoption around it um, is kind of personalized data and measurement. Uh, particularly as it pertains to the fitness industry. So there's a lot of increased value of data, not only to collect your health information, but more importantly, to provide these actionable insights to consumers, right? To trackers, fitness trackers are certainly becoming more and more commoditized as are the sensors. I think we're going to live in a world where, um, everyone will be wearing some form of a uh, fitness or health tracker, whether that's your phone, likely a watch, um, but it'll allow for uh, real-time accountability and continuous data collection, which obviously is scary to a lot of people, but at the same time, I think is really necessary. I mean, we're sitting in a world where, uh, or country rather, where the rate of diabetes is going through the roof. Childhood obesity is at you know, at an alarming rate as just general obesity in the country. So I think we're going to see a lot more around personalized data and measurement um, as it pertains to fitness. I think uh, as it, when you look at the sports industry, um, something we're continuously looking at obviously is the real money uh, gaming and betting side. Um, you know, the implications beyond sports betting alone, I think are huge. Uh, when we look at what the casual uh, or social better, if you will, is going to look like or believe, uh, you know, within the fund is that in-game betting is going to be uh, the future of this entire market. And as you can offer up more microtransactions and more in-game betting, that's just going to open up a huge opportunity uh, to not only drive further linear digital tune-in, but also just open up the market so that people who aren't hardcore betters can actually come in uh, and view it more as a social uh, experience than it is purely to make money. Close, close with uh, a tip almost for the, the young venture capitalist or angel or one that is interested in uh, this space in the future. How, how do you learn and, and how has that changed over time? And what do you recommend to those in terms of their own due diligence and learning about the spaces that they're interested in? 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, the biggest learning is for us is when we're talking to founders across each of these categories. I think uh, a lot of founders and companies are shaped by the experiences that that CEO or founder has had. So understanding where they're coming from has been amazing learning lessons for us. Um, I think similarly, don't invest in stuff you don't understand. Sometimes markets are really hot, whether that be esports or fitness. If you don't understand the technology or the platform, uh, either learn it or don't invest. I think it's really hard uh, to be in a company where you don't necessarily understand what's happening under the hood, um, which a lot of times will lead to, uh, you know, maybe the company not being successful or uh, you're just losing your money. Um, and then similarly, I think just like anything else in early stage venture, you got to take a portfolio approach. If you're going to be an angel investor doing one or two deals in seed companies is uh, very, very unlikely to yield you anything. Um, and so I think you got to take a portfolio approach and you got to um, get to know founders and you got to invest in a, uh, a number of companies that offer not necessarily that are overlapping, but that are at similar stages so that you have higher likelihoods of returning capital. And that's The Bond. There's plenty more to come.